0: Good morning. It's uh COVID nineteen week number. Actually, I, I don't know what week number it is. Uh, we're over a month into this very strange and different time, and uh, I don't know about you, uh, but last week uh, was hard. Uh, I could feel uh, my nerves being frayed a little bit. Uh, I was probably a little more uh, easily frustrated than I normally am in my life at, at certain things, and I can start to feel that. You know, part of the struggle as I was uh, reflecting on why that was, as uh, I think us not getting to physically meet together at Easter was difficult, and some of the residual of that the week following. Uh, then last week, just even some of the repetitiveness of each day, uh, some of it was uh, letting myself just focus on negative pieces of all of it, and it was a struggle. Uh, For me, I don't know about for you, but for me, this past week, Monday, was one of the harder days that I've had, kind of the cumulative effect of all of it. And so, I don't know where you are in all of that, if you feel some of that from week to week, or in recent weeks, or or maybe not, maybe not in this season, but in different seasons in your life, maybe you can relate to that, uh, the way that some weeks are harder than others And so what I want us to think about together this morning is, is that normal? Is that the normal part uh, of the Christian life? Because sometimes we hear the Christian life is victorious Christian living or your best life now or everything is great and wonderful and you become a Christian and suddenly it's all perfect. But I think if we're honest, uh, we know better. You know that it's not always perfect, uh, that life can be difficult and it can be hard and some seasons are harder harder. Than others, And so uh, the Bible tells us this. It doesn't promise that there will be never be uh, difficult times. God doesn't tell us uh, that it will always be easy, but he does tell us that he cares for us and he sustains us and he never forsakes us or leaves us. And in him, we will have the greatest joy and fullest joy possible. He does give us many uh, wonderful promises that are true and beautiful. But he also says there will be tribulation. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that creation is groaning under the weight of sin, yearning to be set free. Or in the book of James, James writes, Count it all joy, brothers, when you meet various trials of different kinds. With the clear connotation, is this, going, there's going to be trials uh, in this life. And so the Bible gives us a very balanced view of all this. And it shows us the reality behind uh, our experience and so we started last week and we're going to continue this week looking in the Psalms. And it's why the Psalms are so instructive in times like this, so helpful, because it's really encouraging as we as we read them. Because what we see when we dive into the Psalms is we see people just like us struggling with the everyday things of life and how it can be hard. And there's this huge swing of emotions they go from one extreme to the other, uh, from, from praise uh, to petition, to anger, to grief, to joy, often in the same song, psalm. And they cry out to God where they are, and we see God meeting them in the midst of it. And so when we look to the psalms, we would never characterize the psalms as everything is great all the time. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It's a struggle. And so this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 40. And as we do, it's a mixture of sorts. You know, last week we started this and we looked at Psalm 18, a, a psalm of thanksgiving that's largely praise and gratitude. And we looked at the importance of being thankful, of having gratitude, how powerful that is, how it shifts our total outlook, how God tells us that's his, uh, his will for us. But this week, Psalm 40 is part thanksgiving, but it's also part petition and part lament And I think I'm drawn to this psalm in so many ways because it's real life. This is the way life is, a mixed bag of all these things. It's not always just praise, and it's not always just petition, and it's not all lament, but oftentimes it's all of these rolled up together, going from one to the next. And so let's work our way through Psalm 40 together this morning. And here's how I want us to do it as we look at it. Uh, how how do we deal with the difficulty of life? And the first question I want us just to consider, big picture of how we should look at and approach difficulty in life, those hard seasons, the struggles. Then secondly, I want us to consider when we find us in that ourselves in that season, what do we do in it? And then lastly, what is the outcome? What changes as we as we interact with God the way He calls us to in the midst of those times? And so let's look at Psalm forty chapter or verses one and two and we'll begin there and it says i waited patiently for the lord and he inclined and heard my cry he drew me out of the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and he set my feet upon a rock making my footsteps secure but then i want you to skip down and, and look at verses 12 and 13 with me as well verse 12 it says david writes for evil has encompassed me beyond number my iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs on my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. And so you see there, uh, right at the beginning uh, of Psalm 40, in those first two verses, and then as we move down in verses 12 and 13, is the realness of this psalm, the realness of David's cry as he calls out to God. Uh, there's... Uh, David is telling us there's there's great evil and, and hardship and difficulty in the world. And the Bible is always realistic about this. It always shows us the way things really are. It's real about the condition of the world. It's real about the emotions that go with it. But it's also real about why it's hard and what causes it and why it's here. And the Bible tells us over and over there is difficulty in the world and the reason is Sin. We and, and by we, I mean all of us, including myself and you and every human who's ever lived, have ignored God and rebelled against him in his world. I say that often as definition of sin, rebelling against God in the world he created. And that sin is pervasive in the world. And because of that sin, the world is out of sorts. It's under the curse of sin. And there's a futility that goes with it that is built into the creation. And that futility alerts us to the reality that things are not as they should be. But it also alerts us to the reality that we are in need. Need of a savior. Need of someone who can come and fix this. That can bring us out of this. Now we do profess Jesus has come. He has defeated sin and death. He says, I have overcome the world and I will sustain you in and through this. In Jesus, you are a new creation. There's a new world dawning in the power of the Holy Spirit that is remaking the world. But Jesus says until his return, there will be hardship. There will be persecution. The world is still groaning under the weight of sin. And although we are called to work in it, to love people, to seek to do justice, to care for one another, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of the darkness into his marvelous light, There will be a struggle in doing so. Sin is still active in the world and it's still a real thing. And you see David giving voice to that so clearly here in verse 12. And it's in that struggle that he cries out. And so the first thing I want you to see and to consider is that difficulty is part of the world. We are never promised that there will not be hard times. And we need to see that clearly to see all else rightly. Because the way in which you proceed is going to be greatly influenced by the way that you see difficulty in the world. Your foundational or your baseline beliefs will color the way you operate from there. And so it's important that we get that right from the beginning. One of the saddest and most difficult things when we're dealing with the brokenness of the world is to get that kind of fundamental truth wrong. And embrace a teaching that is false. Uh, Sadly, some of the most damaging uh, heresy, false teachings come from within the church, and uh, maybe you've heard it said something like this. If you just have enough faith, you won't have any difficulties. Uh, If you name it and claim it or uh, the word of faith movement that started in the early 70s was built upon this heresy that says that you can change anything. If you have enough faith that you can do it, the power of your words and proclaiming these things. And so the heresy went so far as to say that if you aren't rich or you're sick or if you're dealing with these struggles, it's because uh, of your sin. Particularly, you don't have enough faith. It's your unbelief. And that's morphed today into what we call the prosperity gospel that says that if you just have enough faith, God will make you rich and you'll never have sickness. But that is not promised in the Bible. This is why I say the baseline, the foundational beliefs, where we start is so important because it colors the way we deal with so many of these things in our life. God promises wonderful things. He promises to be with you, that he will sustain you. He will ultimately work all things for your good and his glory, whether in this life or the next. But he will use your difficulty in your life for times of growth. But he never says, if you have enough faith, nothing bad will ever come. That's not true. And we need to start here. If we miss that, it sends us off into a trajectory that causes all sorts of problems. And so first here, consider how do we approach difficulty is that we should expect it in this life. It is to be expected. It's part of our human experience in a fallen, sinful world. But the second big picture thing that I want you to look at is if you look there at verses one and two again, is that when David says, I waited patiently On the Lord and he inclined and he heard my cry and he brings me out and he sets my feet on a rock and he makes my footsteps secure. The second big picture thing I want us to consider is that there is good that comes through difficult times. This is all throughout scripture. God teaches us. He shapes us. He gets our attention. He uses these different difficult seasons in our life. Here, David calls out to God in the depth of his need and he's pleading and waiting on God and he meets him in his suffering and he sets his feet on a rock and he makes his footsteps firm and it's through that difficulty as he cries out to God that this happens. God uses those moments for our good and for our growth. It's in these times that he reminds us of our need for him. And if we will seek him in those moments, he can and will soften our hearts. He shows us that we're not self-sustained. And what it does is it, it, it tills up the ground. It prepares the ground for new seasons of growth. When we're experiencing those difficulties in our life. Scripture tells us this very clearly. James chapter 1 in verses 2 through 4. James writes, count it all joy my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let that steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing i think of many times in my life where there's been serious hardship or suffering or mourning or difficulty probably the Hardest time I could pinpoint in, in my life to this point was the loss of my brother Jed. Uh, my brother Jed was 15 months younger than me. We were one in grade apart in school. Uh, we did everything together growing up. We were best friends, uh, just a year apart in school, so we played on all the same sports teams, all of that. And Jed was killed tragically in a car accident 12 years ago. And it was hard, and it was sad, And it was difficult. But in those moments, God was so near. And so I say this every so often, but I'm always hesitant when I do because how it might be misunderstood. But in that grief, it was one of the sweetest times of my life and my walk with the Lord. Because he was and he is so gracious and loving. I was overwhelmed with his goodness and his mercy and his nearness. And that was one of the most difficult moments of my life. Now, right now, there's a heaviness. Uh, uh, We don't know the future. We don't know the timetable of a global pandemic. We can't clearly see the fullness of it. And that can be hard. But the truth is, we never know those things. What I mean by that is what tomorrow will hold or what next month will look like. You know, for some right now, we get concerned over getting sick are losing a loved one or some of us have lost jobs and the uncertainty of that and finances is a very real weight and those are real things that weigh on us but the truth is we are never guaranteed any of those all of that could be gone tomorrow whether there's a pandemic or not but in these moments right now the curtain kind of gets pulled back so to speak things that We often ignore, or maybe we just don't fully embrace, or suddenly put front and center. And we see that we're not in control. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. In these moments, it forces us to think deeper. It reminds us of our need. It reminds us that we need to come to him and to seek God in all things. It prepares the ground for new growth as it tills up. It kind of shakes us out of the normal, but it prepares for ways in which God is going to stretch us and shape us and help us to grow. Friends, when things uh, are so clearly out of sorts or when we feel like they are, remember, God is working in that. He is alerting you to it all. You are not your own, but you belong to God. And so suffering and hardship is to be expected. But God is faithful in those moments and he teaches us so much. So when we find ourselves in that, what do we do? Go back to verse one and two again. Spending a lot of time right there at the beginning. But in verse one, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined and heard my cry. You know, I love that line. Uh, It's the opening line of one of my favorite songs of all time. And I read that, and sometimes I forget the timing of the first half of that verse. David says, I waited patiently for the Lord. If David waited patiently, that means it took time. He cries out to God, and he seeks him, but he waits. We live in a society that is so instant in every way. And oftentimes we, and, and by we, I mean me, uh, I get frustrated uh, if things like a video I want to watch on my phone takes a moment to load. Why is it taking so long? I want it right now. I don't want to wait. Uh, I believe part of our lives right now is we've been conditioned not to wait, to not value waiting, almost to despise waiting. But the truth is waiting is essential. God teaches us in our waiting. Thinking, pondering, wrestling with ideas produces wisdom and discernment. To do any of those things takes patience. And we fall into the, I want it right now, we miss out on so much of what God has for us. And so if you look at the second half of that verse, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined and heard my cry. But I want you to stop and think for a moment. He says he heard my cry, but that doesn't necessarily mean the waiting is over. Even the very next verse as uh, it gets to verse three. He says he drew me or I'm sorry, verse two. He drew me out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog. And he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure And I've forever read this as if all of this happens in short order. It all happens at once. David cries out. God hears. God delivers David from the circumstances of whatever he's dealing with. And then suddenly everything's great. Now, part of that is because of what verse three says. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear. And put their trust in the Lord. And so if you if you condense that and you put all three together and in short order, uh, we, we go, look what happened. Boom, boom, boom. He cries out. God delivers new song. Everything's great. But sometimes in our difficulty, we wait patiently and God hears us and he meets us in the difficult times and he shapes and he molds us and he teaches us in this ground that has been prepared for new growth. And as he shows us and he changes us in the midst of that difficulty, in the midst of that season, in the midst of that storm. And he does give us a new song and many will see and fear, but that doesn't necessarily mean the circumstances have changed or the difficulty is over. What I'm saying is that Some of the most powerful witnesses to God's goodness, because it it does have a powerful witness. Look what he says here. He put a new song in my mouth, a new song of praise, and many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And so there is a powerful witness. But sometimes that power and mercy are most clearly seen, not through God miraculously delivering us from the circumstances or even changing the circumstances, but by sustaining and changing us in the difficult season. I've seen powerful witnesses to God's goodness in the face of tragedy that speak just as loudly, if not more so, to God's goodness than it is in times when he has uh, miraculously delivered from the circumstances. I vividly remember some of the most wonderful time of worship At funerals of people I dearly love. as the hope that we have in Jesus is proclaimed so loudly in the midst of tragedy. In the midst of mourning. And so God works in both ways. He's good in the waiting. He's good in sustaining us through the hard. He is good in bringing us through it and into a different season. He's good in every piece of it. So how do we get to that place? Where we have a new song, even in the midst of it, look at verses six, seven and eight with me. He says, in sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear, burnt offering and sin offering. You have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written to me. I delight to do your will. O my God, your law is within my heart. David says God is not. After your religious activity, he doesn't allow you to go through difficult seasons to get your attention so that you will then get busy with some religious activity so that you can somehow prove your love. He's not calling us. He's not alerting us to our need so we can jump through some hoops to earn something from him, to earn his love or to make things right. I got to do some good things so he'll remove this circumstances. That's such a common misunderstanding of our relationship with God. That to have a relationship with God is to be really active with religious activity. No, that's not it. We seek God and we wait on him and we seek him in his word that we have a relationship with the very one who created us and sustains us in all things. The very relationship that you were created for. David says that here. You don't want sacrifices and offerings, but you have given me an open ear. You know, the very literal of what he says there, you've given me an open ear in Hebrew is an ear that you have dug for me. You created me. You made me in such a way to know and love you, your creator. He wants you to know him because he is the answer to your needs and he loves you. God wants your best. And so he wants you to come to him because he is your best. He is the one that created you. He's the one that dug your ear that you could hear him. And as that happens, he meets us there and there's a renewal and there's a growth and there's a new life. There's a wanting him to be Lord over every area of your life. And that's what we call discipleship, growing in that relationship with him. But here's the wonderful news and all that. If it's not alerting us in these difficult times to some things you need to do so that you can get his favor, and it's most emphatically not. It is then God saying, I want you to see me and to hear me fully, and I want you to know the glory of what I'm doing in and through you and what is to come. And that is secure, not because of what you do, but because of what I have done, and I want you to in this relationship with me that I have made a way for you to have. You know, this passage here in Psalm 40 is quoted in the New Testament. Uh, it's actually in Hebrews chapter 10. And in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 8 through 10, it says this. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings These are offered according to the law. But then he added, behold, I will come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So what we have there in Hebrews is showing what God, the way he was dealing with people at one time in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. uh, God dealt with a sinful people through this sacrificial system. But now he's dealt with us through what Jesus has done for us. But when you look back to the old sacrificial system, they were never saved by their sacrifices. They were never saved by the temple system. But God was teaching them how a holy, righteous God could be near a sinful, broken people. But now we have complete access to God through what Jesus has done for us. And this is the whole of Hebrews Expounding how Jesus is better than the old covenant. That now we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. God doesn't want your religious activity to make you right with him. He's given you that in Jesus. He wants you to be in this relationship with him that he's provided. I don't desire your religious activity. Jesus did that. God says, I want you to come and I want you to listen to me. I want you to know me. I want you to see me in everything. That I am the one and the only one that will rescue you. But I'm also the God that will take you through the storm. I'm also there with you no matter the circumstances. And so God does hear and he does answer. And when he does, we see him afresh and he meets us there. And in doing so, he gives us a new song. Uh, he, he stretches us and he grows us and it leads to new praise and thanksgiving. It leads to a new obedience and delight as him and not as a way to earn his love, but in a response to his love and what he's done for us. And so you wait on the Lord and you continue to seek him in all things and he meets you there. And when that happens, I want to end here with just considering this last part of what David says. Yet they are more than can be told. And so he says, you've multiplied your goodness towards us. I see you more fully. You meet me in the midst of this. And now I see the fullness of who you are in a new way that I had not seen before. And I will proclaim and tell of them. But yet they are more than can be told. And in those difficult times, God reveals more fully who he is. And he changes us. And then he begins to use us for his glory. You know, here as David we, waits. God meets him in it and he renews him. He gives him a new song. And you see that this is a real and true hope is found and it begins to overflow. Many will see and fear. And so right now, and not just right now, but every day, we have a powerful opportunity to show where true hope is found. And it's in the source Of all good, our God and our creator, the one who alone can satisfy. And as we do, the outcome is a deeper walk with him, which leads to a new song, which leads to others seeing the hope that can only be found in him. So I said a few moments ago how powerful and glorious it is. When those that are putting their hope in the Lord and are trusting him in all things. And in fact, the more difficult the seasons, the more pervasive the darkness is, the greater the light shines brightly through that. And so I just want to encourage you today to seek him in whatever season it is you are in. He has given you an open ear, an ear that he has dug. He is always there pursuing and loving you in all things. And God will meet you in it and he will shape you. He will till up that ground in the difficult times for new growth and he will draw near to you and he will use it for your good and for his glory. Let me pray for all of us. God, we thank you for the glorious truth that you love us, that you are with us in all things. We thank you that you do tell us that even though there will be persecution and suffering and struggle in this life, that you are bigger than all those things, that you are so good and so powerful and so loving that you will use every bit of it for our good and your glory, that none of it will be wasted, that you use every bit of it uh, to draw us closer to you, to show the goodness uh, of your mercy, to provide us and those that are watching with a greater hope in you and what you've done. We thank you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.